Is there something you didn't do this week that's worth mentioning? I didn't get arrested. It's always worth mentioning. It's Friday, June the 1st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News contributing editor and on-the-run debtor, and with me today are my colleague at Dutch News and cultural ambassador Molly Quell and Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and podcast flag bearer. Gordon, why do you owe the government money? This story is my favorite <laughs> op-hep of the week. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I was I... sent a letter this week by the government saying that I owed them some money. and um, uh, How much money? These are, well, we'll come to that. To explain the background, I, I, I get a, what's called a personsgebonde uh, budget, which is a budget for carers for my children, which is uh, provided by the government. And this uh, doesn't always cover the full cost, so I have to top it up a little bit myself through a very complicated process, which is called a sort of voluntary contribution or firewillige storting. But that and doesn't sound very voluntary. It's not not voluntary at all, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's voluntary in the sense that if you don't pay it, then the government won't pay your uh, your carers. So that's, that's the, the opposite the, of voluntary. Yeah, it's that's literally voluntary, really. the opposite yeah, of voluntary. Exactly, yeah. But that's anyway. I got a letter saying there wasn't enough money in in the pot uh, to to pay them, and therefore the payments would be stopped until I'd actually uh, made good the the debt. So I'm in debt to the government to the tune of three cents. <laughs> <laughs> they sent a letter in the post which cost which, more than three cents. Which cost considerably more than three cents to send me and they also put it online and even actually the cost of you know just putting a thing online is probably more than more than three cents. Of course. So, uh, I must apologise to the, to, to the care in question that, uh, that their money's going to be late this month because I was three cents short on um, <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. On my top up it is ridiculous. Yeah. But you know what did not cost three cents? A flag in Parliament. No, that costs considerably more than three cents. Paul, tell us about this flag. Yeah, um, so Parliament got a new flag. A couple of months ago, the political parties decided to have a flag in the the Tweede Kamer because there hasn't been any yet. But they placed a very tiny, very... um, sad-looking flag in its very camera. It's a, it's a quite quite a large room, and if you only, you know, put the flag of the yeah. size of a gas block yet, then yeah. it, it looks kind of sad. So they decided to upgrade the flag, and it only cost 12,000 euros. Hmm. Hmm. That's, they could have maybe used that to uh, forgive some of Gordon's debt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Paul, they put in this new flag, but not everyone was happy with it, I hear. No, Cherry Boudet thought it wasn't big enough. I'm sure that Cherry Boudet thinks that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually it's only with baguettes, but now it's, uh, yeah. it's also uh, applies to, yeah. the, to the flag. Si- size does seem to be a thing with him. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. He should write a book about it. Yeah, yeah. he should. Uh, and Molly... You are the cultural ambassador of Dutch news? I am, uh, because I went to Leia Warda. Oh, wow. I did. I actually went a few months ago, but I, I had a, an article published this week about yeah. things to do in Leia Warda. So, so you went a few months ago, so you missed the penis fountains? I did not see the penis fountains. Uh, you have to go back. I kind of want to go back just yeah. to see the penis fountains, I'm not going to lie. And then immediately head back to, yeah, uh, to the civilized world. Yes. Indeed. And what is there to see in Leia Warda? I really liked the ceramics museum, actually. They had a lovely uh, ceramics exhibition while I was there, so it was, a, it was a good time. And I was very impressed with the quality of the food. There's really nice restaurants in my order. Mm. So I highly recommend it for like a weekend trip if you're looking to go somewhere for a weekend. And Molly, what are your feelings about Eindhoven? They have excellent Indian food in Eindhoven because there's a lot of Indian immigrants there. That's my feeling about Eindhoven. I have to go there next week. Well, we've got some news for podcast listeners in Eindhoven because uh, you can now tune in to hear us on Fridays at 11pm and Saturday mornings at 11am on Radio 4 Greenport which is broadcast online at radio4brainport.org or on AM radio at 747. 
We will uh, link to that in the liner yeah, notes, will. of course. And uh, another bit of housekeeping, Molly. We've had some uh, email from our from our listeners. We've uh, had a, we got a lot of email this week. Right. There was a lot of a lot of email, and most of it was nice, which yeah. is which is a change of pace. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been something in the uh, something in the weather, I think. So first of all, we got some comments. We got a lot of comments about last week's discussion on vacancy held. Um, a listener commented that Mexico apparently has a similar system, which uh, has a forced saving system for people to save ahead of Christmas. I looked around, but my Spanish is worse than my Dutch, so I couldn't actually, like, find the name of what this is, but, you know, I I suspect that it is probably accurate, as one of our Mexican readers uh, uh, informed us of this. Also, an economist from the University of Leida wrote in to disagree with me, defending Paul and Gordon's point that the bonus nature of vacation money is useful. Yes! He also said that uh, companies can use this money to invest in infrastructure projects, etc., so it may be beneficial in that way. So I looked into this. I assumed that there must be some sort of, like obligatory savings scheme. It turns out there is not. Um, there's nothing that says companies must save vacancy held during the year. So I did some uh, I did some further digging on the subject and found out that there are sometimes companies who don't properly save for this and then they don't have the money to pay up. There's been some court cases about this. So I'm like even more opposed to the vacancy held system than I was <laughs> last week. And I was pretty opposed last yeah. week. Uh, so, so your attitude is that if, if companies can't fulfill their legal obligations, then they shouldn't be obliged to do them anymore. Have you, have you been talking to Helen Kroll recently? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We also got a bunch of emails uh, about people enjoying Paul's new Ophef segment. So on that note, I'm going to turn the floor over to Paul so he can tell us about this week's amazing Ophef. Well, the uh, Ophef of the week uh, has everything to do with Lelystad, trampolines and towels. This is a ridiculous story. It's a great story. As all Ophef is, (laughs) it's a ridiculous story. Well, as we know, uh, Schiphol Airport is reaching its uh, capacity and one of the solutions is to uh, expand and upgrade Lelystad Airport so that it can take over a number of uh, short and medium haul flights. Well, naturally, people who uh, live nearby or under the proposed flight paths aren't happy with the new airport and they fear the the impact of noise by the increased uh, air traffic. To reassure them, however, the Ministry of Infrastructure thought it was a good idea to let one aircraft fly the new flight paths to let the people experience how living under them would be like. They called it the experience flight. (laughs) This sounds like a porn. (laughs) (laughs) It really does, yeah. Well, naturally, because of this ridiculous name, the flight was immediately ridiculed on the internet and uh, also critics pointed out that one flight wouldn't be able to simulate the dozens of other aircraft that will fly over uh, during the day. And now people were called uh, upon on Twitter to put towels in the shape of sad smileys on their backyard trampolines to show to, I guess, the pilot uh, their unhappiness with the new airport. Okay, then we have to unpack this a little. <laughs> First of all, everyone has a backyard trampoline in Lelystad. That is what I've learned from this. In all around the Netherlands. Yeah. 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 Um, also, apparently... The best way to protest after building a penis statue is to turn that trampoline <laughs> into an emoticon. Yeah, yes. And you've seen the photo. I've seen the photos. Yeah. We'll include photos in the line. A already. lot of people participated. There was in a this. lot of participation yeah. in this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The but it's, it's so sad that it starts to become likable, I <laughs> yeah. guess. Yeah, it's, in a way. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you wonder what pilots of other aircraft would have thought, you know, who were flying over and uh, just saw this, <laughs> this trail of sad trampolines. They must have thought there was some kind of been some kind of uh, trampoline massacre or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And. The flight was two hours delayed. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, there God. were technical difficulties. Oh, you had to arrange a new aircraft. Mm. And, uh, you know, people were sitting in that backyard for, for the entire afternoon waiting for the, uh, for the experienced flight to yeah. fly over. Yeah. Oh, that's some good opaf. This week, we'll bring you the latest developments in the investigation into the MH17 disaster, the ongoing row of the 30% tax ruling for expats, 
a very expensive pearl of questionable origin, and a groundbreaking court case about gender neutrality. In the discussion, we'll catch up with the talks to form local government administrations. In case you haven't noticed, it was a stormy week in the Netherlands. Code yellow and orange warnings were issued throughout the country on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday for heavy rains, thunder, lightning and hail. Traffic was highly disrupted by flooded tunnels as well as train services when lightning struck in overhead wires. Some places saw over 50 millimeters of rain, causing cellars and streets to flood due to overloaded sewers. Hillstones the size of ping pong balls caused heavy damage on cars as well as blown over trees. However, in between the storms we had summery weather. Tuesday was the first official national tropical day when temperatures reached 30 degrees in the build. This year's May was the warmest May ever recorded. The average temperature day and night was 16.4 degrees compared to a normal temperature of 13.1 in May. Yeah. And the uh, flooding and the heavy rain was of an early test for the uh, shiny new train station in Delft, wasn't it? And did it pass? No. <laughs> no. It yeah. turned into a, a swimming pool, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Despite yeah. being located directly across the street from a water research institute, yeah. they yeah. could not deal with it. In the fact, flood. in a city that's where about uh, 99% of the population have an engineering degree, exactly. they can't build a train station. No, the, the whole Gemeente uh, was actually uh, <laughs> flooded and they had to be evacuated, the city hall building. Paul, you, you posted a, a video of, of a toilet that uh, was, wasn't really coping with <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. On, it's on the lid of the toilet, it says, I poop. And the toilet was basically doing what it said on the lid. <laughs> <laughs> it was an excellent video. Yeah, well, as the day. Uh, proceeded yesterday we had a very heavy rain yesterday yeah. i think i've never yeah. seen it so heavy yeah. uh, ever in delft and in the group chats i'm in with all the kind of students they were sending all these videos of leaking buildings in the university mm-hmm. and also one very unfortunate toilet <laughs> like why are you filming this why are you not leaving yeah. this area here you're gonna be really upset when a, an actual alien monster comes out of the toilet So more news on the 30% ruling debacle. As we told you a few weeks ago, the coalition government announced plans to reduce the 30% ruling, which allows highly skilled migrants to reduce their tax burdens from eight years down to five, but allowed no transition period for current beneficiaries. A petition with more than 30,000 signatures protesting the move was handed into Parliament this week. This was ahead of a closed-door meeting on the subject, which took place in Parliament on Thursday. As of this morning's recording, we haven't heard any updates about the outcome of that meeting. It's not just expats who are upset by the change. The biggest Dutch trade union, FNV, has come out in favor of a transition period, and 30 large Dutch companies, including Heineken, TomTom, Philips, and Aegon, also voiced their concerns. We'll update on the website when we have some news about the discussions that happened yesterday. Okay. Have we had any more correspondence about this? Yeah, we've, uh, there's been a, you know, it's a popular topic, I think, on the mm. Dutch News Facebook page, and we've we've gotten a lot of emails about this kinds of stuff, and of course, uh, you know, understandably, people are very, continue to be extremely upset at the idea that they were promised this benefit for eight years and now being told they can only have it for five. The group United Expats, they've raised like 10,000 euros for potential legal bills. They've actually been quite, uh, quite organized um, and have really, yeah, apparently done a very good job coalescing a lot of... Uh, interested parties into this. The American Chamber of Commerce has come out uh, in favor of a transition period. The German Chamber of Commerce has come out in favor of a transition period. I think it's United Expats for... It's called the Netherlands. Netherlands. Of the Netherlands, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the group's called United Expats of the Netherlands. Thanks for looking that up, Paul. 
In sport, Tom Dumoulin has said he wants to win the Giro Italia title on the road, not in the courtroom, after finishing as close second to Chris Froome last Sunday. The British rider dramatically stole the initiative with an 80km breakaway on last Friday's penultimate mountain stage that gave him a 46 second advantage that Dumoulin was unable to peg back over the final weekend. It was Froome's third successive win in a major road race, following last year's victories in the Tour de France and Vuelta d'Espagne, but he could be stripped of his titles at an anti-doping hearing later this summer, where he'll have to give a convincing explanation for the very high levels of sambutamol, an anti-asthma medicine in his system during a stage of the Vuelta. Dumoulin, however, told La Gazzetta dello Sport that he wouldn't want to win a race that way and that it would be, quote, very negative for cycling. And uh, also the Dutch football team uh, are playing some pointless matches this week. Yes, no Arania in Russia for the World Cup, of course, because they failed to qualify. So the team went to Slovakia last night to play a friendly match. Um, to it's give... nicer this time this year. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, yes, yeah. it's quite, it's, it's quite, Bratislava's lovely at any time of year. Yeah, and uh, Ronald Koeman had a chance to run the rule over his players. Uh, it was a pretty tedious game to be honest uh, not much to cheer the few hundred loyal fans who who travelled along but uh, one player on the Dutch team did show some promise and that was Quincy Promise <laughs> who scored the second half equaliser after Adam Nemich had headed the home side into an early lead so we don't have any uh, Dick Lawyer news no Dick Lawyer no I'm afraid not no um, he's, he's been very quiet this week I'm going to uh, go back to sleep now anyway on Monday night uh, there'll be a tougher challenge for the Dutch team and they take on Italy who of course are also not going to the World Cup for the first time in 60 years the Netherlands and Australia are both holding Russia liable for its role in the shooting down of flight MH17 in July 2014. The decision was made following last week's report by the joint investigation team, which concluded the book missile, which was used to bring down the plane, was in the hands of a unit of the Russian army. Foreign Minister Steph Bloch called on Russia to cooperate with the investigation and urged it to shed light on the truth and not obscure it with a continuous fog. The EU and NATO joined the Netherlands and Australia in urging Russia to take responsibility. But Paul, what was the reaction at the uh, Binnenhof? The Tweede Kamer unanimously agreed with the cabinet's decision to hold Russia accountable. Even Thierry Baudet of Forum for Democratie supported this. He had always been suspicious to the allegation of Russia's responsibility and he even called on President Trump to uh, open an independent investigation to the disaster. Nonetheless, he and the PVV didn't support a motion that said uh, the evidence of Russia's responsibility was unquestionable. Baudet preferred to call it highly likely, so he wasn't willing to uh, support this motion. A court in Limburg has ruled that an adult who feels neither male nor female can be issued a new birth certificate stating that they are of no determined sex. The person in question told RTL, I am not Sylvester Stallone and I am not Pamela Anderson. Who who even is that? <laughs> Leona, age 57, was born with both male and female sex organs. They were listed as a boy since at the time that was presumed to be easier for them. Later in life, they underwent gender reassignment surgery but still felt that wasn't the correct answer, so they petitioned the court to allow them to use a gender-neutral birth certificate. The Dutch courts turned down a similar request in 2007. It has been possible since 1993 to have a gender-neutral option on a new birth certificate, but it hasn't been previously possible to make them retroactive. Yeah, it seems difficult to um, issue a gender-neutral gender on a new birth certificate because, you know, you have... Well, sex I think, organs, you look at them and then... Yeah, but they... So this person, they have sex organs of both genders. Yeah. Um, and so I guess since 1993, it's been possible that if you... That you can have a birth certificate that's gender non-specific. Yeah, I think there's about 80,000 people in the Netherlands actually have uh, yeah, inconclusive sex organs. Yeah. And uh, what color mouses uh, did they get for the celebration? Well, so we asked this question on Facebook. The overwhelming response was yellow, which is the sort of gender-neutral uh, clothing okay. baby option, right? Mm-hmm. That if you buy 
buy toys for a, for someone who's having a baby, but you don't know what the gender is. Um, also, orange as the Dutch national color was proposed. Uh, when I took Mousha's home for my sister-in-law's baby shower, they weren't announcing the gender, so we did a mix of pink and blue. But oh. I think uh, the the Mousha's companies may have to come up with some more, uh, yeah, more some other colors. colors. Yeah, yeah. More, more kind of rainbow Mousha's. So if you look at the color spectrum, uh, the color in between blue and pink is purple, or on the other side, it's orange. Oh, okay. So that seems so orange, orange is appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I think orange is appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially in the Netherlands. Yeah, definitely. exactly. 2018 saw an alarming increase in deaths caused by meningitis, the Algemeen Dagblad reported on Wednesday. At least 57 people ended up in intensive care and 11 have died after becoming infected with meningococcal meningitis so far this year, according to a report by National Public Health Institute, REVM. These numbers are now equal to 2017 as a whole. Prior to 2015, the institute saw only four infections in the Netherlands a year. The cabinet decided all children should be vaccinated twice against the disease, but due to a shortage of vaccines, teenagers will have to wait until October. Meningitis expert Ari van der Einde told the AD the situation is worrying, especially because of the disease's unusually high mortality rate of 15%. Meningococcal meningitis is spread through the air. The first symptoms are usually fever, vomiting, headache, pale skin and rash. Yeah, and it can uh, develop quite quickly, I think, as a disease. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real sort of parent's nightmare that uh, you, your child gets a rash on their skin and the first thing you think is, oh my god, this is meningitis. The world's largest freshwater pearl went up for sale this week for the first time in 240 years at an auction house in The Hague. Named a sleeping lion because of its distinctive shape, the jewel was discovered by a Dutch merchant in Chinese waters in the 1760s. Despite Chinese law stating that all large pearls were the property of the emperor, the merchant took it back to Batavia, and when he died it was sold at auction to the Russian empress Catherine the Great. It was expected to fetch between 340 and 540,000 euros when it went under the hammer on Thursday, but it fell just short of its lower estimate, going for 320,000 to a Japanese buyer. The sleeping lion is around 6 centimetres long and weighs 120 grams. We'll be updating you on the aftermath of the council elections and the talks to form town hall administrations after this word from our sponsors. GMW Lawyers is an innovative law firm located in The Hague, with clients based both in the Netherlands and abroad. They are known for their dedicated, committed and no-nonsense approach and will work to achieve the best result for you. GMW specializes in family, employment, corporate, liability and property law. They also support the Legal Expat Desk, a legal resource for internationals. You can find them online at gmw.nl and the Legal Expat Desk at legalexpatdesk.nl. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch. You won't be charged for initial legal advice. You can reach them by email at info at gmw.nl. This week, the local government map continued to take shape as coalition deals were struck in The Hague and Utrecht following last week's deal in Amsterdam. Three of the big four cities have now finished their coalition talks and with GroenLinks and D66 playing a prominent role in all three, there is the potential for some intriguing battles ahead with Mark Rutte's centre-right coalition government. So how are the municipal administrations shaping up around the country and how will it affect local residents? 
So, Gordon, I hear that the uh, Amsterdam Coalition has decided to shoot tourists on site in order to deter tourism. Is this correct? <laughs> uh, it's, they're getting very close to it. I think probably yeah, uh, at some point that will become a rule. They're really trying to clamp down on tourism and uh, increase taxes for tourists as well and also restrict Airbnb so that in some parts of the city you can't now let out your spare room or your whole flat to tourists around, around, all year round. And uh, in the rest of the city, I think they're, they're restricting it to 30 days. Um, Everyone carries a roll, rolling suitcase will be yeah. shot in the streets. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Or wearing one of those like Amsterdam hat things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah Their exactly. bodies will be thrown in the canals. Yeah. 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 And they'll be stopped on the street and asked to pronounce Scheveningen. <laughs> if yeah. they throw their bodies in the canals, in a year, some judge is going to determine that this was bad for the environment, and then yeah. the government's going to have to go fish all the bodies out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then their relatives will be fined. Yeah. 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 So uh, I, I hear they have a pretty left-leaning. Uh, they've got a left-leaning. Uh, Coalition government. Yeah, they, they, they describe themselves as a Knetterlinks. Knetterlinks? Knetterlinks. Wow, that's, yeah. uh, yeah. that sounds a, dirty. That really... sounds like something Cherbidet does on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the absolute opposite no, of what Cherbidet would yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the coalition is headed by a Hoon Links, um, obviously the, the, the Green Left uh, Party. They were the big winners, right? They were the big winners, uh, yeah, in the, in, in the election. Um, uh, the other uh, coalition partners uh, were D66 and the Socialist Party and Labour, all of whom actually lost seats on the council but still had enough put together this uh, left-wing coalition, um, although obviously uh, opponents are then call it uh, a coalition of the losers. Um, <laughs> Rutger Goud-Wassink, who is the leader of uh, Groen Links, has said he, wanted, he wants Amsterdam to become the greenest city in Europe. So he wants a solar panel on just about every roof, and probably everyone's bike will have to have a solar panel on the back as well, and <laughs> there'll just be solar panels everywhere. Um, they also and they want fewer cars in the city centre, so they basically want to phase out parking in the Grachtengordel altogether, more or less. That uh, Postenel guy will be happy. <laughs> exactly. Or the guy who complained about Poston. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and parking charges will go up to seven euros fifty an hour, which I think um, uh, one lobby group claimed that that made Amsterdam the most expensive city to park in in the whole of Europe. And it already is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's already it's four euros an hour, isn't it, in most parts of the city? Uh, yeah, four, and, four or five. I yeah. think they're gonna change, increase it from five to seven point five. I don't know. I was just in Amsterdam last night. I do not understand why you need a car in the city center. I mean, I understand if you mm. live there and you have a car, it's one thing. But people who drive into the city center for other reasons. I, it's it's idiotic. Like the public transportation system there works so well that yeah. there just seems to be no need for this. There's also a um, going back to the subject of tourism a minute. There's also a plan to spend two hundred twenty-five thousand euros um, uh, on trying to um, deter stag d- parties, deter stag right? parties, deter, deter tourists, uh, certain type of tourists, uh, and deter tourists from one particular country. Which is possibly which is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, yes. <laughs> where is it, yeah, who's uh, who seem to send over the, the, their very worst uh, residents to Amsterdam for yes. weekends to basically sort of uh, stagger about. Um, Amsterdam is uh, is the UK's new Australia. Yeah, seemingly. Yeah. <laughs> For all, their, all, their, uh, all their scum they send to Amsterdam. Yeah, but it's kind of funny because they uh, and uh, there's an item of this, uh, about this on NOS uh, during the week and uh, they interviewed a few British tourists who couldn't see the problem. And they didn't understand why <laughs> Amsterdam residents were upset uh, about stag parties. Um, of course. Turning up in their city and just uh, causing it, being a complete being a complete pain in the ass themselves, basically. When Amsterdam is banning all these tourists, uh, uh, other cities in the Netherlands see that chance to uh, start attracting them for example, 
Drenthe is trying to attract <laughs> of uh, tourists, uh, international tourists. Uh, they claim that uh, Drenthe is very interesting because of the Hunebedde. Oh, okay. I heard an interesting proposal this weekend, and I cannot remember who told me this. So if you're listening to this podcast and this was your idea, please send me a message. But someone said that they should, we should create an island in the middle of the North Sea and turn it into like a sort you of... You mean the United Kingdom? No, no. An island in between. Oh. Uh, wherein you put basically like a fake Amsterdam, essentially. Um. You put in all of the things that, the, the crappy things that tourists wants to see, right? Yeah. So like a nice old windmill, some canal houses, the, the shop selling The shop selling the, the stupid hats, the inflatable hats. Exactly, yeah, some delft blue pottery yeah. crap. Yeah, and, and, then, and a couple of uh, coffee shops uh, selling joints for about twice as much as uh, all the other coffee shops. Yeah, and uh, yeah. put in a lot of like hotels and stuff and like encourage the stag parties to go there, give them some sort of subsidy to just go to this island and then they won't come to to actual Amsterdam, but instead can go destroy this place yeah. that no one and they won't no know where they are because they're, because they're, they're drunk, drunk they're anyway. drunk and stoned at ten yeah. in the morning and uh, yeah they they won't have a clue that it's not real Amsterdam. It sounds like an excellent plan. And people and are uh, the yeah. there are voices speaking up for um, you know building a new airport in the North Sea. So if they're going to build a new Schiphol in the North Sea, they can just attach a little piece of land and make yeah. the, it's perfect. the fake Amsterdam. Yeah. They can yeah. build it there. To, yeah. And uh, everybody that's flying into Schiphol can just you know, basically walk to the to the fake Amsterdam. This yeah. is, this is, a, I train. Think this is a genius idea. This is yeah. a genius it's flawless. idea. Yeah. yeah, and the council also wants to cut the number of things. Like oh yeah, we were talking about, we were talking about elections. Yeah. Council, council, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the council also wants to have fewer restrictions like beer bikes. Uh, yeah, you know, the, 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 these yeah. mobile bars that uh, people pedal around badly in the city centre um, while drinking at the same time. Um, and uh, and he wants to move the cruise ship terminal. This is well such an absurd concept. So they they paid all this money to put the cruise ship terminal yeah. into <laughs> Amsterdam, and the one of the reasons they wanted to subsidise this is because who takes cruises? Like boring old people, and that mm. is exactly the tourists they. Want want to attract right yeah. they get off the cruise ship they buy a bunch of stuff at the buying corp they go to a few museums they all go to bed by 10 o'clock right seems like the perfect well, they go tourist. back on the ship anyway they go back they? on the so, ship yeah, yeah. yeah. by 10 o'clock yeah. they're all so asleep. no airbnb yeah. no airbnb no peeing in the canals no like drunken shenanigans not frequenting coffee shops yeah. All right, so there's more to the uh, this country than and than Amsterdam. Uh, so, yes. so what's going on in your hometown of The Hague? So Gordon? in The Hague, they've uh, now put together an administration uh, with Hoop uh, de Moss, which was uh, a local party set up by Richard, uh, Richard de Moss, who was an ex Pfeffe MP. Yep. Then left the party, set up his own group in The Hague, and he became... was forced to leave the party there. As they do, yeah. right? This is basically what Pfeffe. I can't remember was he forced to, or if he just he wasn't up. put on the on the candidate list. That's mm-hmm. right. So he yes, was, uh, he, he was put leave. very low down the candidate. But he's quite popular. Well, he's become the biggest party yeah. in the in the Hague. Actually, his uh, his independent group. Even um, though he doesn't believe in climate change, right? Yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll come to that because okay. he's actually in a coalition with Groen Links, right. and mm. D sixty six, and the Fifth Day, the fourth party in it. That's um, interesting. Yeah, um, and it is it is a coalition of the four largest parties uh, on the council because none of the opposition groups has got more than three seats. There are fifteen parties on the Hague's uh, city Jesus. council oh, wow. at the moment, um, and it is actually quite a green manifesto. Even though De Moss is, uh, as we said, uh, an avowed climate change skeptic. Um, he's uh, turned uh, out to be quite um, uh, a pragmatic politician. He said he just wanted to put together a coalition that would that would serve the city and that meant that he's had, he's accepted quite a lot of um, green measures um, in the case of, for example, there's going to be an environment zone in The Hague, uh, as they have in Arnhem and uh, Utrecht at the moment. Was the PVV also in the city council in The Hague? Yes, yeah. what happened was, um, they're, but they're down to one, um, I think uh, one or two seats, I think, on the council. Oh, uh, initially they were, really they were f- quite quite popular in, in the, the last right? can- Well, in the last election, 2014, they were just short of being the the biggest party. Hmm. Jason Zester became the biggest
this party. That was when uh, that was a context in which Vilders gave his Minda Minda speech. Ah, okay. Yeah, and he, he was oh. doing okay. Um, and then all these votes went to Hoop uh, de Moss. I think yeah. it's ironic that his last name is Moss, which is green, but he is an anti-green. <laughs> <laughs> so they've said, yeah, so they said um, uh, it's not a Knete Rechts or Knete Links coalition, it's yeah. more of a Groko. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's a terrible word. Yeah. Yeah. No, Goku's a German uh, acronym. Oh, so, okay, more yeah. German. Yeah. This is going to be the German, <laughs> the German news, news podcast. Uh, news podcast. Yeah. And uh, there was also news about Ada Schippers. Well, Ada Schippers was the uh, p- the person who put the coalition together. She was leading the coalition talks. She was the formateur. And she got a lot of uh, praise and credit for, for, for doing it because there were four parties that didn't have a huge amount uh, in common uh, when you looked at their manifestos, especially, as I say, Group de Moss and Groen Links. Um, and uh, Richard de Moss, uh, being a sort of man of the people, uh, went up to her at the speech and said, Je bent echt een mordwey. <laughs> Which in The Hague is a compliment. Yeah, right? of course. <laughs> yes. It means, it means yeah. m- murderous bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is a compliment. But it is a compliment. Um, so, so what have they agreed to? There are some uh, some green measures going on, right? There are a few green measures. It's not. I mean, the Pay Fay uh, said it was read like a Greenpeace manifesto, but it's not. There are some green proposals. Uh, the city selling its shares in Eneco, which of course is an energy company, is going to reinvest that money in sustainable energy. Um, and they're they're talking about um, uh, running a metro line up to Scheveningen. Um, That's probably needed. That tram. Is I think it's probably needed. Well, the tram also. So the roads get really congested yeah. in summer and obviously it's not good for pollution. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it really um, does. But while they're raising parking prices in Amsterdam, they're lowering them in The Hague, right? Yeah, as you said, they're either lowering them or they're, um, they're looking to see if uh, they want to take um, paid parking uh, out in some suburbs. Uh, because well, the Moss is dead against having any more paid parking zones. Uh, actually, pay, parking charges in the Hague are very reasonable. I think you pay about two ten an hour. All right, outside of the Randstad. Wait, is Utrecht in the Randstad? Utrecht is in the Randstad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. More on the Randstad. What's going on? In Utrecht? <laughs> <laughs> so in Utrecht, uh, they've just um, agreed a coalition deal, which is being announced on Friday afternoon. So we don't have the full details of that deal. Um, but it's uh, it looks as if Utrecht is going to shift to the left as well because the FVD were in the coalition last time, and this time they're not. So the coalition is. Links and Desenzestig as before, but the third party is the Christian Uni. Okay. Hmm. Um, and uh, the council has already said um, it wants to spend billions on public transport. And uh, there was uh, talk last week of um, Utrecht wants a second intercity rail station because there aren't enough trains going through Utrecht at yeah. the moment. And that's, the train station that's there is definitely not big enough. Yeah, that's true. Um, they're also committing to building six to 12,000 new houses. Yeah, there's a housing shortage. There's a housing shortage in Utrecht. My sister in law is quite a squeeze on housing. trying to buy a house in Utrecht. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a squeeze. Yeah, and house prices are shooting up in Utrecht yeah. as they are in Amsterdam. So, yep. yeah. so, and what about Rotterdam? Yeah, Rotterdam is one of the four cities that um, doesn't have a coalition, and uh, they're not uh, that close to getting one either. Uh, the big problem has been that Leifbau Rotterdam uh, were the largest party in the elections, but Dessa Zestok said they won't do a deal with them because they had an election campaign pact with uh, Thierry Baudet. Dessa Zestok also said they would only go in a coalition with Fefe Day if uh, one of the left-wing parties uh, was in the coalition. But Groenlinks and uh, Partij van der Arbeid, the Labour Party, this week said they wouldn't go into a coalition with Fefe Day. So that means that so now none of the parties on the left uh, are going to um, uh, be in the coalition, so now Fefe Day are going to have to make up the numbers with other parties, uh, possibly the CDR, maybe the Christian Uni SKP, and uh, or more controversially possibly Nida who is an Islamic mm. party uh, but we're looking at a six party administration in Rotterdam now to uh, be able to form a coalition without Leifbar so that's going to be complicated yeah very complicated <laughs> uh, but uh, councils uh, city councils are now appointing older men uh, how does that work yeah so what happens 
is, as in the national government, uh, local um, governments have uh, separation of powers. So the executive, so the, the executive branch is uh, separated from the city council, and uh, the members of that are appointed by the coalition parties, and usually roughly in proportion to how the parties are represented on the within the coalition. So the coalitions are now making up cabinets to run departments, and that means that some MPs are leaving Parliament to go into local politics. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's very remarkable. Yeah, it's that, kind of interesting. That, that, yeah. It's interesting to see. I mean, the, the Tweede Kamer is the highest uh, institute in the Netherlands, and then to see MPs downgrade themselves to an alderman, that's interesting. Yeah, that's and especially uh, the, 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 a, a number of them come from the Labour Party. Uh, yes, that's true, because the Labour Party, although it, um, it lost seats in the elections, it's still on quite a large number of council um, administrations. So, um, yes, Sharon Dijksma, for example, in Amsterdam, she was, she's been an MP until last week, and she's now going to be in charge of transport and environment policy. In Amsterdam, uh, yeah. In Amsterdam, which is going to be yeah. obviously quite an important portfolio given their, you know, the drive to uh, more green energy. Yeah. Um, Kadir Arib, who's the chairman of the parliament, uh, has, has said has been quite critical of MPs who do this, who who, who jump ship and, uh, uh, having been elected to parliament, now leave uh, just after just over a year after the election to go and do take up another job. Yes, because in the in the wake of the, the elections last year, it turned out that uh, approximately one third of the MPs uh, leave the Tweede Kamer before the end of the term, and that was considered a, quite a problem. And now we see that this trend is continuing in yeah. in, in, in in this uh, election cycle too. Yeah. How many cities now have uh, an administration? Um, but around two hundred and seventy now have got coalitions in place. It's about eighty percent. Um, but it is taking longer. Four years ago, around ninety percent had signed deals by this point we're up to about the 10 week mark after the election um only three uh, municipalities don't have uh, any prospect of an administration in the foreseeable future that's Bunink, Kulenburg and De Bilt um which is possibly m- m- maybe the problem in the Bilt is that there's been so many uh, uh, extreme weather situations <laughs> they haven't had time to actually yeah. <laughs> this is the only time this podcast will mention De Bilt not in the context of a weather storm yeah, exactly <laughs> Yeah. So why is it taking longer this year, Gordon? Do we uh, know? Well, we're having some coalitions with more parties in them uh, quite a lot ah, okay. uh, because um, uh, the, uh, because Dutch politics is kind of fragmenting. So um, yeah, the, the Hague has fifteen parties on the council. As we mentioned Amsterdam's got fourteen. Uh, lots of um, even smaller municipalities have got uh, double figures, uh, and then there are local parties. Uh, there was a trend, big trend in the election towards more um, local parties being elected. They often don't have experience of uh, being in government or negotiating coalition deals that takes longer and there are more aldermen because more parties in coalitions means that they they all want to have at least one alderman um, in uh, in the administration Um, in some areas aldermen started to represent more than one party it's kind of interesting that's crazy yeah just so they can they don't have to have uh, keep the numbers manageable yeah Yeah, I suppose you have to be sort of you know Fefe day for Mondays and Tuesdays and then uh, (laughs) Day Sassestic for the rest of the week or something I don't know I think it would be more fun to be like Day Sassestic on the weekend and Fefe day like Monday Day through Thursday. Yeah, no, you won't be day at the weekend, so you can still spend lots of money and then claim it all on expenses. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can now send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, you can subscribe to our feed, give the podcast rating, and share it. My thanks to Molly Quell and Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week. Thank you.